Welcome to Grad Life by the Horns, the bi-weekly podcast covering all things grad life. Hosted by me, Becky Hills. And me, Sophie Scully. Hello and welcome back to season three of Grad Life by the Horns. I can't quite believe that we've made it to season three already. It's actually really mad to think that this time last year I was still in uni and this idea was kind of still a pipe dream that Sophie and I were talking about. So firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for all of your support on our graduate takeover episodes at the end of season two. We love ending the seasons by handing over some mic to you and hearing your interesting and inspiring stories. Speaking of interesting and inspiring stories, this leads me nicely onto today's guest. Very few people encapsulate the term inspirational like Angelica Malin. She's an entrepreneur, journalist, speaker, podcast host, and all-round wonderful person. We sat down for a chat with Angelica back at the beginning of March, before the idea of a full lockdown even seemed plausible. Just after we recorded, Angelica was set to host the She Started It Live Festival in London, which is a two-day celebration of amazing women who have started companies, movements, initiatives, families, revolutions, and everything in between. Unfortunately, due to coronavirus, Angelica had to postpone the festival despite all the hard work she'd put into making it as safe as possible. Luckily, however, it's been rearranged for October, so if you'd like to get tickets, the link is in the show notes, and having been to one of these events before, I would wholeheartedly recommend getting yourself a ticket. COVID-19, however, has not stopped Angelica from absolutely smashing life, as during lockdown, she's launched a new podcast. Unprecedented releases twice a week, and every episode features an interview with an inspiring guest on how to survive and thrive during this period of uncertainty. Alongside this, Angelica is editor-in-chief and founder of About Time magazine, who have been producing some incredible content during lockdown, which I'd again wholeheartedly recommend having a look at. She's also founder of About Time Academy and is releasing a book next year. If that wasn't enough, she's also a wonderful person who brought wine with us to make Friday recording a little bit more fun. In this episode, we discuss imposter syndrome, bringing communities together, freelancing, how to boss an interview and the importance of listening. I say this with all of our guests, but it really was one of my favourite episodes to date. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. So hello and welcome back to another episode of Grad Life by the Horns. Today we are joined by the wonderful Angelica Mallon. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. I'm delighted by your selection of snacks. <laughs> Pineapple Jaffa cakes, gone, gone exotic. I know, very rogue. A bit of a secret as well, we do have just a small Friday evening a little tipple. as well. Just a little, just yeah. a little bit of wine. I think if you're working late on a Friday, it's, it's mandatory actually. Yes. Yeah, it has to be done. So we begin every episode with the same question. So the first of which is, what's gone wrong this week? Oh God. Honestly, what's gone right this week? Coronavirus has, has hit and we have a big event coming up. So that's been something that is an unexpected challenge of the week of how we manage speakers and we deal with a crisis, which is a great learning curve, which I think all businesses have to do. On the whole, I think things have gone okay this week. Leading a team is always a challenge, making sure that you're being a good leader, that you're giving clear instructions, that you're not running around like a headless chicken. That's something that I think all business founders slightly struggle with. So my week has been focused on trying to lead with compassion and being very clear and calm which I try to do but probably haven't done (laughs) the wine will help the wine will help (laughs) yes (laughs) trying not to learn to send like midnight emails which is my 
Oh, yeah. I'm like, read in the morning, <laughs> you know. That's the issue with being freelance as well, is how do you switch off? I'm mm. sure we can talk about that. I'm sure we can, but I think, I think switching off is also a bit of a myth, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> You've kind of answered it there, but what's gone on this week? What's been going on for you recently? So I run About Time magazine. We're a content platform. We discover anything it's about time you tried in London and beyond. So that is something that I've been doing for six years. So that side of things runs pretty smoothly. Events, however, are totally different ballgame and I'm sure lots of listeners will understand this but when you put on events it's just so many variables so many unknowns you're relying on people kind of showing up or just so many things that can go wrong with events and that's in itself just quite it's quite nerve-wracking to be honest we put on big reader events and festivals and that's something we've got coming up I just want to interject there as well we were having a quick chat before we were recording and you were saying you sat down with your team and you were like, right, what are the worst possible things that can go wrong? Yeah, we were like, what could go wrong? And we spent like half an hour, we went round, like did a round table. One of my team was like, this speaker could pull out, this could happen, this could happen. We did not think there would be like a pandemic. That was not in the plan. So now it's like going to Costco and buying anti-back and mm. yeah, just so, so much unknown. And I, I think there is a joy in it with events to an extent because it is quite a adrenaline you know forming and like it is quite exciting and I think that's partly why you do it it's quite addictive but you have to like ride that wave a little bit I think yeah Mm. and I guess it's a learning curve as well there's not much you when it's out of your control there's only so much you can do about it Mm. the thing I find hard with events is that there's a level of expectation when someone has paid to be somewhere they expect something from you and I get so scared about not delivering and you guys came to our last festival but I think we probably slightly over delivered on that one because I was just like, well, people have paid to come and I want to make sure they have an amazing day. So we put on lunch and we did like ridiculously heavy goodie bags that I pulled my back out having to carry them across oh, London. Goodie bags were they brilliant. were so heavy. They were so <laughs> full though. of stuff and like the day was super long and just all sorts of stuff that I just felt I was so desperate to make sure that we over delivered, which I think is important with events. But there is a kind of level where you're like, okay, it doesn't need to be like, mm. you don't need to go that far. But I think on your first few times, you know, it's it's very easy to lose people on a, on a first impression. So if you're doing something for the first time, you do really really want to hit those targets yeah you want to build that reputation you do and it's really hard to undo it isn't it i remember i listened to a keynote from the ceo of disney and he said that they launched disneyland in paris and they launched it and there was no alcohol available they had no wine and all the parisians came and they were uh, no thank you and it took them years literally years to rebuild the trust with french people to come to disney because of those small things that they didn't serve wine and i think they were serving hamburgers and like the prison people did not like that i don't know there was something else that he said and he was like you can't undo that trust and that really stayed with me that you've got you know that first impression is super important yes and we, we will definitely talk about managing those expectations throughout the episode when i was doing my my research my linkedin stalking on you I was like, oh my gosh, there's loads of things she's done that's similar to me. Because if we take it back to university, went to the University of Bristol, studied English and drama, and you were social sec, weren't you? Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience at university, how you split up your time what your priorities were and then we can go into like what you learned from them yeah sure so I did English and drama at Bristol I didn't plan to do English and drama I actually got in for English and philosophy having never studied philosophy at all went to one lecture and was like oh no I did not understand this (laughs) and I went to the department and I was like I can't do this I don't want to do English and philosophy and they were like well you either have to drop out and spend a year and come back in the next year and you can do straight English or you can do English and drama 
And I was like, well, I've never acted, but I will, I'll do that one. That sounds easier. And so a friend of mine and I were the only two people in our year that didn't act. And we managed to get away for like a good two and a half years with not having to act at all. <laughs> uh, eventually we got roped into something, but I would sort of direct or, you know, anything where I'd write, anything I could get around the acting part of things. But it was a great experience. One thing I did throughout university, which I think did really help, was that I worked pretty much the whole time. So obviously all the basic stuff like bar jobs but I also worked as a runner on a show called Got to Dance and that was a great experience and I was so I was kind of running on the weekends so I'd drive to the studios I think it was at Pinewood and then I'd drive back to Bristol so I was doing that for months on end and then my last year I had a placement with a magazine so I did that throughout and I think that was a good kind of training grounds just to you know be in the working world it definitely made it a bit less of a shock I suppose on graduating and I had a few more contacts so I think it was good even though I slightly burnt myself out for while I was doing it I think it's a good way to kind of get your leg up. So how did you manage your time especially in final year having a full-time job? Honestly I didn't find university like very intense I I didn't we didn't have a lot of contact hours I found like I had a lot of free time and I had a student loan so a lot of money and I was just like okay this doesn't feel like the most productive use of my time and I wasn't like massively into drinking so I just yeah I I was okay with it I was quite happy to do something on the weekends because also the student experience is so different in that you're going out on like a Tuesday night or whatever (laughs) so you're going out on the weekdays which you wouldn't normally do so I could kind of afford to like weekends often were more quiet and I found at Bristol so it was actually really good time to be working and so I graduated with a job and I worked for six months before launching my own thing and what did you do in your first job out of uni so I worked for a magazine called Suitcase which was a fashion and travel publication it was a startup a kind of a friend of mine from school had started it actually it was a great place to learn because it was a really small team and it had that startup energy I think it was a good training ground for that kind of thing and six months in, I had a feeling that I wanted to do my own thing. I had that like little, little entrepreneurial spirit where I was just like, I think I'm just, I have to kind of go off and pursue my adventure. So I did, I just launched into the deep end, I guess, and, and started about time. And where did you get that kind of confidence from just to start it? Have you always had that kind of impetus just to get on with things? Or is that something that you had to like develop and hone? You know, it's funny because I feel like, and I've spoken to quite a lot of people who felt the same, that when you're younger you're less fearful and you're more willing to take risks and I think there's an element of not having so much financial responsibility when you're younger I was living at home I wasn't paying rent where I was like didn't feel like I had that much to lose and I think as I've got older when we launch new things or you know take on new projects I'm a little bit more nervous than I used to be and I remember launching about time at 22 and didn't think like didn't entertain the idea that it would fail which just didn't even enter my mindset I was like I'm gonna do this thing I guess that's a bit cocky but I was like gonna do this thing and it's gonna work and then it it did so now having read loads of (laughs) self-help books I know that that's what you're meant to do is just you know just believe in it and it it will happen but yeah I think as I've got older I've got more scared of stuff Mm. and I suppose you haven't got that reputation to damage at Mm. that age so you're building yourself up and trying to establish yourself rather than being like okay everyone knows who I am now everyone knows what I'm doing oh shit if I do something wrong it's gonna look really bad I think post uni like you your early years your your kind of work identity is quite fluid you haven't attached yourself to one thing yet you're not known as something you don't associate with like so much so I hadn't gone into a job really so I didn't have to be like oh I'm leaving to do this thing I didn't have to have like the judgment of colleagues or the fear of people being like oh what if it doesn't work like that doesn't factor into it and you're quite early on in your career I, I know it's really hard to be in a full-time job to leave to do your own thing and part of that is because you've set a bit of an identity for yourself mm. I found because I studied English and drama as well and a lot of people on my course 
kind of their ideal job was to work in television, start out as runners and get into production, all that kind of stuff. What was the experience like in television while you were there? God, it was brutal from what I remember. It was like, they treated runners like we we were literally runners. Like all you did all day long was like run around (laughs) just doing the most ridiculous tasks. I have a really strong memory of working at a production company and there was a very specific way that one of the TV, very high up TV execs liked her tea. She had these like special tea bags. It was like you were meant to put it in for like 30 seconds and then do like two dips and then you take it out. And nobody oh told me that that's how your she likes her, I think it was like a jasmine tea. It's like something out of The Devil Wears Prada. And no one told me, so I just went and I gave it to her and I gave it to her with the tea bag in. Like, oh, shock horror. And she <laughs> took it out and she put it out on my hand. Yeah. Oh my no. God. And that was my experience of TV. It was just like brutal, just, you know, you, but that, because people love that industry so much, they so want to get to the top of it that they will do anything. Mm. Like you have to just And take, I suppose you, you have can to treat people that, like that. Yeah, yeah, you have to take that stuff. And then you, when you get to the top, it's like, yeah, you, you look down. It's, it's one of the most hierarchical places that I've ever experienced. Mm. So I think it probably put me off a bit. Although like behind the scenes of a live production is really fun and there's a lot that's exciting about it. For me, it was just a little bit too cutthroat and it was a bit too competitive. So what would you say was the biggest thing you'd learned from being a runner and working in showbiz for a while? I remember just being really physically pushed by the experience. And I think there was something for me that I really enjoyed about not being behind a desk all day. And whenever with about time, I felt like we're slipping into this place of just being at our laptops all day long. I don't feel totally happy with it. So for me, like doing events is another way to just kind of break that screenness that you've experienced so much as being an entrepreneur of just feeling like you're just attached to your inbox the whole time and that was the bit about running that I loved the most was that you were on a set you were literally running around like you were Mm. meeting people face to face and we have to be careful I think of falling behind the screen a bit too much so when you were at university what was your ideal career path I didn't know what I wanted to do I just knew that I wanted to do something that I felt really passionate about it was always really important for me to not just do something for money and not to kind of fall into a nine-to-five that was okay like I didn't ever want to settle and I still kind of don't and so I didn't, I don't know, I don't think I knew I enjoyed writing and I wanted to do something in the journalism field, but I didn't quite know if I wanted to just go and be a journalist. It was also quite a tough time in journalism when I graduated. There weren't loads of jobs going. It was the kind of the beginning of the end of print, you know, like that was kind of when print was really starting mm-hmm. to go out of fashion. So a lot of the print titles weren't hiring. It felt like a good time to do something in the online space, but I've never really had much of a plan. And I think that's also okay. I think just following past passions, feeling your way with what excites you, what makes you curious. And that usually leads you to the right place, I think. Mm, And we've touched on that in a couple of episodes recently where we've said that everyone thinks they've got to have a five year and a 10 year plan. Mm. And actually it's all right not to, because ultimately if you're passionate and you're driven, you'll get to where you want to be just by working it out as you go and taking that onus off. I've got to have this structure, this plan, I've got to have this in place. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a sweet spot between having no plan and having a really overly structured one I know at times when we've been a bit planless I felt a bit lost and I think having some semblance even in the next 12 months where you want things to go is quite good just so you feel like you've got momentum and something to measure against but I would never have like a five-year plan or anything too prescriptive god knows I don't even know what I'm having for dinner (laughs) (laughs) I saw a really cool interview that you had with the radio I think it was literally about a year ago now and you posted on your Instagram and it was about the work dynamic with millennials and the whole concept around 95 and like you said like you have you do have to stress that especially at this age you really do have to look for something you're 
passionate in and where your values lie what would you say are your biggest values in life Mm, I do think it's changed a lot with millennials like what they want out of work is really different to like my dad's generation who just went and did a job and that was enough I think millennials want to feel a sense of purpose Mm. I think it's like purpose over profit is the thing everyone says now that they want to feel really connected and really fulfilled by the work I think for me there's a couple of things community is pretty important to the work that I do I want to feel like we're building a sense of community we make people feel that they belong to something I think in a world where we're increasingly disconnected, often by the things that we think connect us like social media, it's really important to bring together physical communities. So that's important to me. Empowering, like I wanna put on events that make people feel like they're empowered. And I think that links to being useful. So empowerment for me feels like knowledge. So being able to provide people with more knowledge, that's what will empower them. I think the useful thing is actually important, just creating content or creating events that are genuinely useful and people can go off and apply practically to their lives, just make their lives a little bit better. I think if we affect a couple of people with our events or the features that we run, then that feels like really good to me. Mm. And were those kind of values in the back of your mind when you were setting up About Time and then starting She Started It Live? No, I think that purpose can take time to actually discover it feels like something that you have to kind of sift through and eventually you find like this big golden egg of purpose but I don't think it comes overnight to most business people I think that purpose is quite fluid and flexible and it can take a while and I think if you're too concerned about having this grand sense of like purpose what is my mission what am I doing in my life and my work it's overwhelming and for me it's taken years it's taken six years to get to a place where I'm like oh I think this is what we're meant to be doing I think this is what I'm here to do but that did not come easily so I wouldn't worry too much if your values aren't set yet or your purpose is not quite there you need to have a business that functions even if you're self-employed as well like it just needs to function first and foremost and then you can kind of work out your greater why but your why is flexible it will change I can imagine a year's time that our our why might shift I just think being authentic to yourself and, and what you're trying to achieve with it even if your truth is that you want to get rich like that's also fine it's just what's personal to you there may be things to you that feel right yeah and I think with social media and stuff it's so easy to think I can't change now I've set who I am, mm. I've set my business plan, I've set my big goals. Brand. Yeah, exactly. And once you've got that USP, it's so hard to divert from it. But actually noting that it is flexible and you will change. And that as you get older, I mean, if you're 21, you're just leaving uni, you're not going to be the same person at 30, you're not going to be mm. the same person at 35. And acknowledging that that change is okay is really important to recognise. Yeah. I think being kind of open and vulnerable with your audiences is always a good way to go because then if you do decide to like, gear shift or change directions you've taken them along in the journey to an extent so when we started to do different things my audience have been like incredibly supportive and I think that was from sharing a lot of like behind the scenes and stuff they know that you're not like this fully formed person that's there yet that you haven't arrived and if you can kind of share the things that you're discovering or that you're finding along the way then I think that's quite nice Mm. also allows you to teach people about it if you inspire someone to start up a similar community or to become an entrepreneur they can see behind the scenes like you said mm. it's not just the tip of the iceberg they get to see the ugly stuff behind the scenes yeah. it's important isn't yeah it? definitely we share all the stuff that goes wrong as much as we share the stuff that goes right and i think if more people realize how much goes wrong in starting your own business they'd probably be less intimidated by doing it like it's all just part of the journey and we we often just see the kind of really glossy stuff of like you know, these lists of Forbes 30 under 30, and it makes you feel like, 
I don't know that everyone's so far ahead and that even the people that are far ahead haven't got these struggles. I have days full of self-doubt and I've done this for so many years and I think it's totally normal as to be expected and just because you feel doubting yourself doesn't mean you should stop what you're doing. What does the term imposter syndrome mean to you? Oof, well I'm writing a book and that is what I feel like I've felt the whole time I've been <laughs> writing it. Just like, who are you to write this book? That, I think that's what it is. It's like a little voice in your head that is just waiting, just thinking like you're waiting to be found out and you're like, who are you to be doing this? How do you think you're an expert in this? I found anecdotally that women struggle with it so much more than men. Loads of stuff I've read about it, it's like when a guy's going for a job promotion, he might not have all the necessary skills or the experience, but he'll be like, oh, I'll just go for it anyway and I'm willing to like learn on the job. Whereas women are like, I want to be totally ready before I take that next step. And I think that's like a bit of an imposter syndrome thing that like, I don't feel sort of sure enough in myself, so I can't take those big leaps. So women are actually holding themselves back from opportunities. Or I think also Mm. modern careers are like monkey bars rather than a career ladder. It's not like a straight trajectory anymore. It's like you get opportunities that are sidestepping often and you have to kind of take those opportunities where they come and just back yourself to do it. Mm, And I agree. I think it is a massively female thing. And I suppose we're talking a couple of days for International Women's Day and there's all these stats that come out and say that women aren't doing this and women aren't doing that and men are holding women back and all this sort of thing but actually once you acknowledge that and once you realize that as a woman you're naturally more inclined to feel that imposter syndrome mm. you can start tackling it yeah is it something that now you're more aware of it and obviously the work you do you talk to a lot of women do you feel that when you're aware of it you can catch yourself and stop it or is it something that you find that just kind of pervades in your life all the time i think it's quite systemic i think it starts quite early on in life that i don't know what it is about the way that girls are educated and brought up but it makes them from my experience feel like they can't launch their own businesses that they have to go down certain career paths they're more likely to study arts than they are science you know and then that ends up being these problems as we get older and I think it starts quite early on actually and it's quite hard to undo those things to kind of unlearn that stuff that you learn as as a child so I think we have to be looking quite a lot younger to work out how can we empower young girls from from a young age to feel like everything is open to them and they can do anything it's a lot harder to undo these things isn't it Mm, definitely I've seen a recent publication as well from you about women in STEM and women in tech as well we've witnessed this being at your events and seeing who you have on your podcast the diversity of careers and industry that you of women that you talk to is incredible how do you access such a wide range of women yeah it's super important to us because I think that you do see a lot of the same names coming up in in these kind of events and on podcasts and stuff and so the STEM thing you referenced we have this campaign called She Starts It 100 where we pick 100 women to watch every year and they're across 10 different industries and one of them is tech and STEM it's always slightly harder to source the like women to watch in tech and STEM but I think it's so important because that representation like you can't be what you can't see if we don't know who the amazing women are and other young women might see it and be like oh she's she's in STEM I can do that too that's really important and I think when we talk about mentorship it's not just face-to-face mentorship it can literally just be seeing someone if you look at the media and the tv and stuff you don't see that many female entrepreneurs like there isn't really like a female equivalent of Lord Sugar you know in the front of a program so I think as much as we can do to raise awareness and the profile of women in different industries is so important how we source it I mean it's a bit on the ground of just going on company websites and looking for top women there we work with PR agencies as well and then using Twitter as much as possible it's a great resource to to find people Mm. so how do you go about for for instance she started live which we'll touch on a bit in a minute but how do you go about finding your speakers for that how do you strike that balance yeah so we 
we sit down quite carefully and we take kind of a week of planning of what it is that we're trying to achieve with the festivals. We just put ourselves in the shoes of someone coming and we're like, if I was a young girl and I was going to this kind of event, what would I want to gain by it? And we try and work backwards. So we want to work out how we want people to feel having left the event for the day. And then from there, we kind of work out what panels would be good. And we look at sourcing speakers. Again, it's a mixture between sourcing through social media, through my personal network and working with PR agencies. So a bit of a mix. One thing that I've tried quite hard with this festival is to not just get female entrepreneurs who are very far ahead in their journeys. Because I think there's a level of accessibility that's quite good where people are say like 18 months to two years in and you can kind of connect with their journey a bit more because they're still in those quite rough early days of figuring it all out. I know that it can be quite intimidating if you're you know sitting on a panel with someone who's kind of four or five years in and it, it's all kind of figured out. So we try and make sure that there's a diverse mix of backgrounds, of age and also like experience and how, how long they've been doing it. What was the feedback and reaction you had from people who attended the last festival? It was really positive, but like I said, I think we over-delivered. So it was a very long <laughs> day. I mean, you guys were there, but it was like 9am till 6pm. I think by the end of it, we were like, okay, too much information. So we've, <laughs> we've slightly cut it down this time. But yeah, it was really good. I think creating a space where women feel comfortable to share, to network, to be vulnerable. Like, I, I think that's one of the amazing things about women is that if you put them all together and you kind of lock the doors and give them a drink or something, they're so willing to be open in a way that my male friends aren't at all. Mm. And they'll share what stresses them out, what they're worried about, what their like hopes and dreams are. And that can happen in like an hour of just being in a room together. And I think there's something so magical about that. So it's that feeling that is what drives me to do it actually. Mm. And you touched earlier on one of your values being kind of like promoting community. Yeah. With having a digital brand, was it important to you to then take that into the real world? Yeah, I, I love having a digital thing, but I think it can feel a bit disconnected sometimes. Like I spent so many years building up our audience and I'd see these numbers on Google Analytics, you know, we'd get like 85,000 users a month. And I'd be mm. like, that's really cool. But like, I haven't met any of them. I don't know what they look like. Like, I don't know what they're into. I don't know what they want out of life. And I think doing events, I, th I think it's valuable for any brand or anyone starting because it's an amazing platform as a source of market research, but also just to make you feel more connected to the work you're doing because you get to actually meet them and talk to them. Mm. And it, it allows you to make a better product actually because you're sitting down and you're being like, what do you want from us? So for example, with the last festival, something that came out of that was I spoke to a lot of people who said that their friend wanted to come, but they had a kid and they couldn't come or something along those lines. So we're doing free childcare for this festival for the I whole weekend. That. That's incredible. Amazing. Yeah, but it's also like, it was really easy to sort out. And I was like, God, it made me really realize that this, you know, we talk so much about policy change and making things better for women. It was not a difficult thing to organize at all. So it makes me wonder like why we can't get everyone doing yeah. it i mean i'm saying that now i hope you know hopefully nothing goes wrong but i think i just want to play with the kids all day um <laughs> yes we do so that came out of it so that's what i mean it's like you get a chance to actually talk to your audience and find out how you can better serve them which is really valuable yeah and you you're able to adapt to your audience as well because mm -hmm. like you said eighty-five thousand people a month it'll be very difficult to email each one of yeah. them and be like oh what do you personally want out of about time like what is it because it just doesn't work like that yeah so and what... also I think if you have a website like people don't necessarily feel that connected to it like I don't feel like an emotional attachment to like time out or the telegraph you know mm -hmm. because they are these like digital platforms that you check in on but you don't have that level of emotional attachment I think by doing events you can kind of pull people into your brand a little stronger which is really great we touched on stats and obviously social media and followers and stuff I find especially like we've said women tend to thrive when they're in a community 
therefore like women on social media look for communities especially like your one to feel like they're a part of something but women who are trying to start from the bottom and work their way up and build a business a lot of them feel so attached to those stats and to the followers Mm. and to how many people listen and it's one of those things that you can only really measure success on at the beginning yeah so what advice would you give to people who are starting out a business and they're just in the first steps of receiving all those statistics and not getting as far as they want to well it's difficult isn't it because it's easy to be very disheartened by seeing those numbers in the early days like with anything you launch it's going to take time and even if you've got a few hundred followers on instagram like you've got a great opportunity to talk to a few hundred people and that's more than we you would have had 10 years ago so whatever those numbers are like work with them if it's only a couple of people replying like just take the time to engage with them and to try and go a little further and also maybe look at different platforms that you can grow on I think just focusing on Instagram like for us Pinterest was really great for SEO LinkedIn's really good for like personal work for me so don't just focus on on building on one platform try and spread it across different ones because then you can kind of have different audiences to talk to but it's just not everything it depends what it is that you're trying to do with your business but you know if you're trying to make it as a journalist or as a musician like Instagram doesn't necessarily matter so just because we have this one metric doesn't mean it's the most valuable one Mm. and on a personal level do you think you have a healthy relationship with social media I feel like I did until Instagram stories became a thing (laughs) (laughs) it was like back in the day you could post on Instagram a few people would like it you would not know if someone sort of had seen it but not liked it but now of course you can just see everyone who does everything and that's yeah like it's addictive isn't it to tell people this is what's going on with your life and I have to check myself a lot to not make it this super hyped up highlight reel of everything that looks wonderful I don't know I get sometimes worried that I'm making people feel a bit rubbish sometimes because if you're only sharing the good stuff or the things that look quite glossy and cool maybe someone's sitting in their desk and they're feeling a bit miserable so I find Instagram stories isn't I don't think it's good for any of our (laughs) mental health to be honest as much as it is good for promoting your brand so I try and step away from it on weekends and stuff like that and put my phone on airplane mode a bit do you have any of those special apps where it forces you to oh I've done that in the past (laughs) with writing a book I've I've made friends log me out of my accounts and be like don't give me the password and I've given my (laughs) phone to my mum and been like you cannot like even if I'm like crying you can't give it back to me it's awful that we're so addicted to these things that we just don't know how to put them down Mm. it's really difficult I think for distraction and that's the one thing we all have to be really wary of like during the day especially if you're trying to be a writer or something like that just not breaking your focus every two minutes to pick up your phone because I I also really worry about how bad we are at listening to each other because of it because our instinct is so to pick this thing up that I find it that I have to really focus when I'm with my friends and put my phone on airplane and put it away and be like I want to hear about your day and not have the presence of it mm. um, yeah it's like the it's... stats that say that like even just having it out on the table yeah. you're cognizant of it totally because mm. I just know it's there I have a sense of distraction mm. a feeling of about to be interrupted the whole time it's just it's not good for, for any of us and I do feel like it makes us actually more disconnected we were actually really excited to talk to you about this because we've seen you speak about listening quite a lot and it's a theme that for your social media as well when you host these events you obviously facilitate a conversation don't you facilitate Mm. the panel and stuff what is it about listening that you've learned especially with hosting a podcast as well that is so valuable to today yeah I think it's so easy to want to be totally prepped for these things like you have your list of questions and you know where you want a conversation to go and 
if you're going to do anything that involves kind of interaction in front of a live audience or on a podcast, you have to, I think, slightly throw that rule book out the window and be willing to let a conversation go in the direction that it's going to by actually listening and engaging rather than make it prescriptive. Because I think that's when you can really feel that someone's like over-prepared and then it maybe doesn't go in the most interesting destination. And from years of doing this, like the best stuff I've ever done has been when I've been like, okay, I'm not going to like have that you know the instinct is to have your next question prepped and if you can get rid of that safety blanket to an extent and be like i'm just going to genuinely connect with you everything just feels so much better and more interesting and i think that's when people really open up to you and are willing to be vulnerable because they're they know that they're being heard Mm. and it's that vulnerability thing isn't it it's if you're vulnerable as a host or a mediator then someone's going to bring that vulnerability back because like you attract that Mm. whereas if you just sit there again and say I think this, this and this, and these are the prescribed questions, you don't have that same sort of nuance in the conversation. Yeah. You get really get to the depth of what people and want to talk about. it can feel random. Like if someone speaks about one thing and then you ask the question that was planned, it often doesn't relate to the thing they've just spoken about. So they feel kind of shut off and it just, it's like a full stop in the conversation. So you have to kind of unstilt it in a way. Is unstilting mm. a word? I'm going to make it. <laughs> That's my Should job words. I've had a bit too much Blossom Hill. I don't know. It's all gone <laughs> We love Blossom Hill. <laughs> um, wrapping it back round to grad life a little bit more yeah so you speak day in day out with these really incredible people mm. what are like some key stories about grad life that you've heard from some of your guests in your podcast mm. or... I always ask people about how they hire because I'm fascinated by it because it's I think it's one of the most challenging things about running your own business kind of hiring the right people and then managing a team I think those are really difficult things so I always ask founders when I interview them so some of the main things that I've picked up from other founders is that they hire for culture train for skill so they tend to hire people that they can imagine working in their business and then they're willing to train them up to be skilled to work in their business which I think is quite interesting and quite a change from recent years and I think that's partly because culture has become this big buzzword of like make your like workplace happiness and like millennials want to feel like really inspired at work so I suppose people are hiring people that they think will fit well into the company culture and then they can kind of train them up so that's one thing that I've picked up quite a lot also just like making yourself stand out that seems to be the main thing that people are looking for when they hire they want someone that's got a cv that's slightly different whether they've kind of started their own thing when they're at uni or they've got like a youtube channel just they want to see some level of like differentiation which i know can be quite hard and in a way it's kind of annoying that that's like what you have to do now to stand out in the grad market i think it's it can be quite frustrating you're like i wish i could just be good at my job (laughs) yeah just be good at the job and get the job but i don't know that it is like that i know especially in journalism the way to stand out if you're trying to be a freelance journalist is to like make yourself be a bit different and that's you know whether that's having like quite a good following on instagram or it's like you have a cool podcast those are the things that can kind of make you stand out. I suppose it's having an element of like entrepreneurialism in your life that will attract you to employers. Hmm. What do you personally look for when you hire people to join the About Time team? So kind of depends on the job that they're doing. My content gal, she's super organised and I think for a job like content, that's what you need. Someone who's just <laughs> going to sit there and write and like make an amazing like editorial schedule. Um, my events gal is very practical and then my brand partnerships gal is very charismatic, really great with people, just like can go into any room and just like you charm the room. And I think for brand partnerships, that's a great asset. 
So I don't have like a, a blanket way of hiring. It's very like person to person and dependent on the job that they're trying to do. But I think for me, it's people that I really get on with. My team are all quite kind of spiritual and we were a bit like me. So we talk about our feelings a lot. And we'll be like, I'm just not really feeling very connected to this brand partnership or like something in my instinct is a bit off with this. And I'm, I'm quite like that. So I quite like having people who are similar. We can go a little bit far with a woman sometimes. <laughs> Let's get the whole crystals out. Coaching. Yeah, like I refuse to sign any um any brand partnership things during mercury retrograde and my team were like okay this has gone too far like <laughs> can't, can't do that there was this one venue that i was like something in my gut just doesn't want it and i was like and then i didn't sign it eventually and i actually think that was right but it's like that intuition you know i think that has a place in business as well i think it's really nice that you say that because a couple of weeks it'll probably be a couple of months ago by the time this episode comes out we spoke to this great guy called akil shah who works in the finance industry and he went through all the assessment centers and all the stuff that conventionally you think you will do as a graduate and that's all based on like your skills your academics your cv all that kind of stuff but he was saying actually no especially when you write cover letters you really need to show your personality and rapport comes first if you have that rapport to start with then you're soaring yeah totally actually zoe who looks after our brand partnerships now was a volunteer at the first festival we did so i'd never met her before she emailed me and was like can i volunteer at the festival i want to help out she came she was like unbelievable on the day just like running up and down getting hot water being super involved and i hired her off the back of it so she now works for me and that was not part of the plan at all but she just like showed up on the day and was like i'm here and she showed up in a way that was like already felt like she was a member of the team like it was so natural i've never really experienced anything like it so sometimes if you really want that job like just pretend like you already have it like she just made a job for herself like I loved her so much and I loved her personality so much that I just found a place for her basically mm. it's about seizing those moments yeah isn't it? she kind mm. of made that opportunity for herself yeah mm. and you can apply that to kind of like internships and work experience stuff while you're at uni it's just going into a company and being like okay how can I fit in how mm. can I be of use here rather than just going in and being like I expect to get this this and this out of it rather than being like how can I assist the brand how can I assist the company so just taking that pressure off you as a person and putting it onto how can I help other people yeah and I think with internships they often get lumped with quite awful jobs and it's like sometimes you have to just ask and be like is there something else I can be doing as well like trying to make work for yourself a little bit and you might just find you make yourself super useful so if they're not giving you a lot to do just like put yourself in the room and offer I suppose Mm. and you've spoken a little bit about and alluded to writing a book yes are you allowed to tell us anything about it? Do you know what? I've been I've done a lot of podcasts this week and I have been, so I'll check with my publisher. I'm probably gonna get in trouble afterwards. <laughs> I think it's fine. Yeah, so I'm writing a book about female entrepreneurship, which will be out in January twenty twenty one. And it is all about launching a business, the culture of women in business, the challenges they face, and loads of case studies with amazing women. I think I've met so many great women through my journey of, of doing events and podcasts and I wanted to bring it all together so that's going to be hopefully like a, a manual for the next generation amazing and how did so that exciting. how did that come about were you approached by somebody or did you pitch for it I, I was actually approached it was very serendipitous they approached me and they said we're looking for a book about women in business and I was like hello and that was kind of it and I had wanted to do it for a while so I had a proposal already on my laptop and sent it off and it was just kind of perfect it was one of those kind of just things that come together I mean every time I'd sort of written like a goals journal that was like top of the list so eventually it just it just happened and wow that's so exciting what would you say that the landscape for women talking about 
entrepreneurship and having these events and these communities would you say it's saturated it has become now a little bit but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing Mm. i think that the more that we're talking about it the more like the dial will shift on policy changes and actually practical stuff put in place to help women start their own businesses but it has become i think it's become trendy but I think we have to be really careful that just because something's become fashionable doesn't mean we should mm. stop doing it. Obviously, like, Topshop and the likes are selling these, like, slogan T-shirts being, like, I don't know, the future is female. Mm. And I think just because that's happened doesn't mean we should stop caring and trying to empower women. If we start cancelling things because they've become kind of fashionable, then I think it's problematic. Mm. And I think that's uh, yeah. a cultural thing in that there's been men writing business books yeah. for decades centuries mm, yeah and now as soon as women start doing it it's it's that competitive culture and it's saying the industry saturates the industry this, but no one ever said that about the millions of male business books out there mm. is that something that kind of frustrates you and that you're trying to kind of counter well it was really funny researching to write this book because we found when we were designing the cover and stuff that the, the business books written by women were like a lot of them were like baby pink and had like just a very very kind of soft approach to them and they were a lot about like starting kind of kitchen table businesses where it was things that you would maybe do at home and I don't know they weren't they weren't didn't have that like strength to them and the female founders that I know have built like empires like they've literally like I'm good friends with Pippa Murray who's built Pippa Nut and Livia from Livia's Kitchen and like all these amazing businesses that are so legitimate so cool and I just I think that we have to be careful when we talk about women starting businesses that it's not just like something quite it almost felt a bit patronizing like something a bit kind of sweet that a woman would do around like having kids or whatever that is and actually like I think that women's desires for the workplace is really changing and lots of them want to grow like really big businesses and and cool stuff like that so we need kind of literature that matches that Mm. and with about time and about time academy and she started it completely erasing the aspect of competition at all but how do you stand out what's your personal brand and what what do you do day yeah. in day out I think the thing that ties it all together is me <laughs> I often wonder with about time and with all of it really I think if you have a person that's kind of fronting your business you're able to connect with people on a different level and if you're willing to like I think it can be such a kind of a way to supercharge your business by being like hey this is my product this is my brand this is my service this is what I'm doing and it's much easier to speak as a person than it is to get you know it's so funny because we try and make brand voice really authentic and we make brand voice really personal it's like what if you just are a person and then you don't have to worry so much about that brand voice and Mm. it does sometimes feel a bit artificial so if you're willing to kind of get over the slight cringiness of of talking about yourself a lot in public and going off and speaking to people about your brand like it can really help I think that's for me what makes me think well no one else could do it because I'm not fronting it and that's you know it's, it's a good way of promoting it so Again, we talk about imposter syndrome. That's something I found so many women are cringed out by, like doing Instagram posts that promote their business or going to talk about it on a panel. Like they'll feel like a bit embarrassed. Like or just... what gives me the right to do that? Yeah, um... exactly. And actually it's like the best thing you can do because you speak confidently, you learn to kind of like, yeah, you grow with it by doing that. You feel way more confident in what you're doing when you have to talk about it loads. Mm, and I get that. Whenever I write an article or put a podcast out, I always caveat by being like, sorry for being a bit wanky again. Mm. and actually it's just that's like you're saying yeah honestly I just call myself wanky constantly and it's like when we used to wrap up this episode I asked the question I'd always caveat by being this is really cringy I always felt like I needed to justify myself and apologize for things apologizing it's such a problem like I feel like we're always apologizing for everything and like we need to stop that like have you seen Miss Americana 
no. the Taylor Swift documentary. Well, she, there's a bit where she says sorry in it, and then she's like, sorry, I'm apologising in my house, which I bought with the money that I made from my songs. And it's like Taylor Swift apologising the whole time. She was saying how she finds it so hard not to say sorry and apologise, and like, what we need, yeah, we do need to stop apologising for stuff. But I think we apologise for our own success sometimes as well. Mm. I think it's because also you're you're taught to be very humble mm. and very grateful for everything and especially as a woman because the industry has always been so male you go into it and you're just like right I need to carry on being small I need to mm. hide myself away and you think that that confidence makes you arrogant yeah. and actually I think what I respect people when they come into a room there's an amazing girl at work called Jenna and she is so confident but she's also so lovely and she doesn't apologize for anything unless she's done something wrong which she never does she's amazing <laughs> um, but like she never apologizes for mm. anything and she just goes into things being like I deserve to be here why is it that anyone would not think that and actually if you go into a room and you're apologizing and you're acting small and people are going to perceive you like that so you have to really project how you want people to see you yeah you'll get a lot further by backing yourself than you will by apologizing i think especially if things like raising investment like i think that's one of the stumbling blocks for women on raising investment is i imagine men are going in super confident and just believing in it 110 percent i think if you have that little element of fear you know people can feel it on you Mm, i think that'd be a really interesting thing to talk about actually so have you gone have you have you raised investment yeah because no one ever talks about money i did a podcast this week for ocean hour long about money and I was like oh my god I'm sweating so much it's so taboo oh my god we're so British I was like god this is so difficult um yes so money I started with 500 quid which I had in savings which was probably a bit of leftover student loan to be honest didn't make any money for about nine months so I had a bit of a cash buffer to kind of get me through that period I think when you're doing something in the online space and you're trying to build a brand it can take a while to translate into money basically because you have to kind of build the audience first so that's pretty normal did make any money for a while and then kind of like month 10 I reckon started to earn a bit of revenue and then was able to hire someone about a year into launching about time the first year was lonely as hell and that's normal lots of founders feel it like don't give up on something because it's really lonely because it just is and it it, you know it continues to be lonely if you're if you don't have a co-founder you know your problems like you don't often have someone to relate to about them and it can be really isolating even when you have a team so that's just part and parcel of doing it so I hired someone a year in and then was able to grow a bit yeah about kind of three years after that I decided to take things in a slightly different direction so I took on part-time staff instead of a full-time employee which has loads of benefits I think because if you're trying to kind of launch into different areas so for us that was events it can be really great if you don't have the capital to take on a full-timer to take on someone on like a two-day week kind of basis and you they can still be like super inspired and motivated to work for you but you don't have to have them full time so if you're kind of scared about hiring I think that's a good way to to ease into it a little bit so now I have three part-timers which is cool part-time is starting to become more of a thing now Mm. especially in London so when you when you go through content for about time and stuff yeah do you see that more people are working freelance steering away from the nine to five yeah I think I had a huge mental block about hiring part-time and I think some of it was a slightly ingrained patriarchy going on in my head that felt like if you didn't have an office and you didn't have full-time staff you weren't a business And I know it sounds silly, but I had this stuff in my mind that was really stopping us growing as a business. And I had an office for three years that I basically never went to. And it was a total waste (laughs) of money. But I felt like I had to have one because that's what businesses did. Mm. And in the same way, I had to have full-time staff. And actually, we've grown so much in the last 12 months by getting rid of some of that traditional, this is what a business looks like stuff. And being a bit more creative, a bit more flexible. 
and actually I found that loads of people want to work flexibly because they've got another job, they've got a side hustle. So one of my girls is a yoga teacher. Wow. One of them runs another content thing. One of them's at university doing a master's. And they like love working for me because we do it as flexibly as we can. So I wouldn't be scared of like, this is like the modern way of working is lots of people just want to have more freedom in their day to day and be able to work when they can. So mm-hmm. yeah, that it, that's a real benefit, I think, to launching something now. And it's like overcoming that conditioning yeah. and seeing that just because society tells you that you need to work in a certain way, you don't have to. Mm. And then also seeing what everyone else is doing on social media, for instance, you don't have to copy that and having that individuality and working out what works best for you is actually more beneficial. Definitely. It's the same as how you structure your day. Like if I don't think working nine to five suits everyone and why have we decided that that's a way to work? Sometimes I take a random day off and then I work a day on the weekend and I just feel better for it. So just find something that works for you. I'm also a bit of a night owl and I'm not that much of a morning person. So like it's okay if you're if you're doing your own thing just to find the structure that works for you. Mm. And we talk about this a lot and relating it back to graduates is that you feel like especially when you're a graduate that you've got to work every single waking hour and adapt yourself to what other people's schedules are did you find that at the beginning and how have you overcome that and like what was your process for working out what worked for you yeah there's definitely a sweet spot between like like I said earlier about having a plan there's similarly having some structure but not too much structure I know that if I just like work from home I just won't get anything done most of the time and like I'll be too relaxed with myself and finding the discipline yeah it can slip into a bit of a Netflix situation and then you're doing your emails and you're also watching friends and wine. like yeah and then a little bit of wine and then it's you know and then it's all gone I think getting up getting dressed and going somewhere to work even if you're kind of a startup and you go work in a coffee shop like you'll be you'll be better for it so giving yourself a bit of discipline I think it is important to understand your personal needs like when you're most energetic when you're most motivated like and feed into those things a little bit just to, just to share an anecdote because that really resonated with me I'm currently working for family and I live with family so I live and work where I am I'm outside of London mm-hmm. there's only two of us and my stepmom she travels a lot so I'm in the office by myself a lot a lot of people a lot of introverts would really respect that they love peace and quiet they love being out in the countryside but I really cannot motivate myself when I'm not around people. Mm. So I, I'm blaring Magic FM or I'm going for constant walks or even like going to a coffee shop. It makes such a difference. It's yeah. crazy how an environment can completely switch your way of working. I think you have to do a lot of self-learning in the early days of, of mm. doing anything, just understanding how you work best, what makes you productive. Like just even like kind of journaling at the end of a day and figuring out like, was I productive today? If not, why not? And I found finding like-minded people so people that also run their own businesses has been such a huge sense of support to me it it can be so lonely and isolating and like being around some people who are going through similar struggles can really help so aside from creating a business what personally was the hardest thing you experienced when you went from university into grad life I'm glad you didn't ask me what else do I do because I always get asked that and I'm like <laughs> uh, literally nothing I go to bed Netflix and I wine eat, I've said I already I vegetarian sausage pasta in bed and I go to sleep and then I work again I think it's hard when you go against the grain you know like at that time all my friends were going and getting jobs and there was a huge sense of isolation of like what am I doing? Like, this is so different. This is so other. I felt really disconnected from people. Like, they'd get to the end of the workday, they'd made money, and I was just a bit like, what, what am I doing? And it's just, that's a, that's always going to kind of stay with you a bit, but that was especially hard after graduating. That said, lots of people went to jobs that they then didn't like, and then a year or two later, they had to 
change careers or do different stuff. So actually with hindsight, that was a good time to be testing out something. So I wouldn't worry too much if you're kind of early days. It's, it's good to experiment. It's good to change things up and know that you can. But yeah, I think that self-doubt, you haven't necessarily got that confidence in what you're doing yet. We do this podcast and as two kind of recent graduates, it's been especially, I can't talk for Sophie, but it's been so beneficial for me to hear all mm. these kind of conversations you've got your podcast and you also had a podcast before that with Rebecca Reed. What's been the most, and I know it'll be really hard to pick, but what's been the most kind of inspiring conversation you've had? Yeah, I will just do a side note that the podcast I did with Bex is, uh, was a sex podcast. We had a very funny brand partnership where we were sponsored by a sex toy brand and we had to review them on air every week. And I'd have to do these calls in advance. I once did one in the back of an Uber pool where I had to tell the brand what I was going to say about the sex toy. And there was like three other people in the Uber oh, pool. Oh and I was God. like, this is absolutely like, what is my career? It was very strange. I think the most inspiring conversation I had was with Justine Roberts, who founded Mumsnet. And she was talking to me about the journey of, of Mumsnet. And she's been running it 18 years. And for about 10 of those years, they made absolutely no money. And she did it from her kitchen table. It was pretty much entirely funded by the community who would PayPal her money to keep it going. And she said to me that the community was what kept her going through that time, is that she knew it was so it was so helpful to women. It was giving them such comfort, such a sense of support and, and community really, that she couldn't give up on it. And then obviously like it totally exploded and now it's gone exponential as they say, and it's just grown month on month and millions of users. And such a huge company like Mumsnet, you wouldn't think had all those years of it just being like one person being quite lonely and isolated and just chugging on doing it for years on end so for me that was a real kind of testament of just sometimes it's just grit and resilience and you just put your head down and you keep doing it wow and that's a real success story yeah it It proves Mm. that community is Mm. especially for women because psychologically i think women really thrive in communities but men feel more at ease when they know where they are in a hierarchy Mm. so it's really interesting because you do see a lot more female communities online don't you Mm. and in businesses and it's so maybe maybe women just need that support a little Mm. bit more but yeah definitely Mm. just keep doing it and so we end every episode by asking you one question which i will not caveat by saying it's cringy angelica how are you going to continue to grad life by the horns Okay, so I have a vision that this year we do two festivals and then next year we do two festivals in London and then we do festivals around the UK. So I'm going to grad life by the horns by expanding our community to all over the UK so we can reach more women. Amazing. Amazing. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you, Angelica. You're welcome. One absolutely brilliant way to open up season three. Thank you so much, Angelica. We absolutely loved recording this. We hope that the topics resonate with you one way or the other and spur you one for the rest of the year because we do need a little bit of inspiration at the minute and Angelica provides that. The She Started It Live festival that has been postponed is now happening on October 9th and 10th and you can find tickets on Eventbrite and a link in her bio on Instagram at Jelly Marlin. We cannot recommend it enough. Becky and I have already got our tickets and we went to the first one as well and we literally walked away in some kind of days of how much we took in and how brilliant it was so we highly recommend she has also been a bit of a busy bee and has released a new podcast alongside her she started live podcast which is called unprecedented and it discusses how different industries are coping during this period so it's really interesting we mentioned 
regularly during the episode that she was the founder of About Time Mag, which is a digital lifestyle for the curious Londoner. And it is really, really good. And there's some brilliant content on there as well. And if that's not enough, she is also releasing a book next year about female entrepreneurship. So keep an eye on what she's doing because she's absolutely brilliant. It's so hard to just pick out key things that came out of this episode. I know I always say that and I apologise because I know I'm biased, but I think what resonated with me most was the importance of community and also listening as well. We are so wrapped up in a digital world where we feel the need to be constantly online and constantly conveying this idea of success And it was just so important to discuss how listening is literally the most important thing with relationships and with businesses, and it allows you to be authentic as well. I was really, really happy to hear some tips and insights that she gave about hiring, because personally, I am currently looking for jobs, like many of us are, I believe. So that was really, really helpful to me. We also just want to say a massive thank you to Julian and Palama. So Palama has been our producer and editor ever since we began. But Julian, if you are an avid listener and you notice we have a different theme tune, it is all down to Julian. And we just want to say massive thanks to him because we absolutely loved working with him. Stop me rambling on, everyone, as per usual. (laughs) We look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Bye. Thank you.